0: Hi, I'm JR. Hello, I'm Lee. I'm Mark. I'm Simon. And so tonight we're going to be talking more about the Web of Fear. Although, let's start the episode with an on the spot, shall we? And for the next 60 seconds, Lee, you're going to be talking about the enemy of the world. Ah, that old chestnut, wow, new old who,
1: the joy from Pat in the waves is amazing, so <laughs> so Matt Smith, and very doctor Who he's so different to Billy, but he has brought so much to the role, strangely, it doesn't betray the doctor's character, it seems to enhance Billy's playfulness physically, making him childish, clown this. Childish clown character is a stroke of genius. Shall I stop reading from Are my paper? Are you reading from somewhere? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wrote it down. Um, <laughs> no, it was fantastic watching it. Pat's expressions were the the thing that really struck me as being the most amazing part of all of this because you don't get that in the Snaps. So I know you've probably talked about this already. You don't get it from the audio. So actually watching Pat act his little socks off um, was just a complete joy. The opening scene, the first episode, was beautiful beyond belief. Jamie was really used well. Victoria uh, was used as well as she could have been. Um,
2: oh, <laughs> 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 and
1: uh, well, you know, you know, and um, Pat, of course, playing Salamander. I, I did totally, pranks. totally forgot it was Pat, um, even with the outrageous Mexican two thousand and seventeen accent. But um, it was brilliant. I absolutely adored it. I sat there and devoured the whole thing in one go. And, uh, you know, I did a little, I, was gonna, I wasn't going to say we, but I did a little tear in my eye. It was just, it was just gorgeous, gorgeous to watch. I just want to see if there's anything else I've missed out. But uh, yeah, no, that's that pretty much it. The American documentary was a nice touch as well, really giving it a kind of a worldwide story feel to it. I thought that was good. And um, <clears throat> the Suncatcher device is absolutely Diamonds of Forever, isn't it? I hadn't realised. But um, yeah, no, it's great. James Bond it, meets Doctor
3: Who.
0: Well, yeah, the bit when they go into a base for the last third <laughs> of the story. You can't yeah. get much more Bond than that. Not really. So,
3: Lee, what you're saying is it's the definitive sort of Bond take on Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah, that's it.
0: But uh, they know
1: we can you forget min- the Pertwee years. They even had Minions, so it's great. Uh, minions yeah, Minions, yeah but uh, underworld <laughs> No, not oh, You're just too clever, that's your problem no. Um, no, no, it was Well, I don't know how everybody else feel, felt When it was announced But I was really excited about this one uh, Web of Fear was like, yeah, yeah, okay, that's really exciting Strangely enough, I had the opposite effect It was like, uh, the only million world That's the one I want to see And it was to do with the acting, you know as well. More of Pat's acting, the better but um, Who's was...
0: this Pat? Is he your uncle? Pat. <laughs>
1: yeah, you know, Pat. Uh, He's was amazing, wasn't he? Oh, did... Anyway, you've talked about this already, so I'll stop. Yeah, but we talked about it. You didn't. I don't want to repeat anything that you've probably already talked about. You had an hour to talk about it last time.
0: Yeah, but... but it's been 167 since people have listened to it, so I don't think they're going to mind. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Jamie was uh, was great in this.
1: I mean... Obviously, I mean, I know the story, but when you see him standing there with his arms crossed, uh, telling Salamander that he can protect him and this fake bomb that he throws over, this, absolutely brilliant. I loved all that. He was He's such a great companion. He can just get on with it. He could have his own series. You know what I mean? He's just such a great companion. I'd forgotten how good Jamie is, actually. Um, and just see him in action and punching a few people out and stuff, brilliant. And guns in people's faces. We talk about violence in the uh, 70s. This is people getting shot with blood, black and white. uh, Crockery getting smashed. Crockery getting smashed, yeah, people getting laid out. Uh, Australian chefs getting it right and wrong. It's just the whole thing was, uh, it had everything. It had the full package.
0: (laughs) 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 Well, you had nearly four minutes then. (laughs) The chef was great, wasn't he? Did you know the announcement was coming before the world knew the announcement was coming? How did you find out about it? I did. Two people told me. <laughs> yeah, but um, no, I mean, how did you find out?
1: I found out through uh, two good friends. Is that what you're wanting me to say? <laughs> but uh, it was uh, it was great to find out before everybody else because you get this kind of weird air of smugness about you. But at the same time, it was just really exciting to know, and I just couldn't wait for the day. So when finally uh, somebody lent me the, you know, they burned it off iTunes when they lent it to me, I gave, gave it a watch. It was. You can't I, say that, Lee. Yes, I can, because I'm going to go and buy the DVDs. I'm giving BBC money. There's no way I'm not buying these things. They're brilliant. But uh, no, no, I had to watch it. It was fantastic. And we're reviewing it, so, you know, reviewers are allowed to watch it beforehand and uh, for free, aren't they? Is that, is that how it works? I don't know. But. Uh, and I watched it, strangely enough, I watched it just before going to work. I stuck on the first hour, got up before everybody else, just put it on, I thought, I can't wait. I've got to watch this. And then watch the rest of my lunch hours and breaks at work. <laughs> and I just came away thinking, oh, I need more. Just like an addiction. And I felt quite bereft after Webb, actually, um, because I thought, if this, if these two are that good, what are the other ones going to be like? If, if they ever get discovered, or I want them to be discovered. It's just given us this kind of insatiable appetite. I think fandom is just, somebody said chomping at the bit um, in one of the newspapers, and I think that's about right. It's... It's just such a great discovery and I think it's one of the best things to have happened in the world of Dot Two over the last few years.
0: Oh, undoubtedly. Yeah, yeah. Apart from the series coming back, what bigger news has there been. (laughs) Exactly, yeah, I know. Since, you know, the last time was Tomb of the Cybermen, and that was back in the early 90s.
1: And strangely enough, watching Tomb was really exciting, it really, really was, but it didn't kind of lift me up and go, hey, this is the classic you were waiting for. You know, we all put it on a pedestal, and I, I still like it, but it just didn't really punch me gizzards in. But these two, oh, they were just amazing, just outrageous. Do you think maybe event. you had
3: lower expectations for Enemy because it's not thought yeah. of in quite the same way as... Mm.
1: Yeah, I did. I mean, else. I was excited, looking forward to it because of the double roll. Um, and I know there was a bit of action, and I don't really wanted to see the helicopter stuff and all that. But I was just amazed at how good it really was. It's a good, good little story. It rumbles along fine. Uh, there's a lot of great camera work in there. Directed pretty good, pretty well. It feels like it's not the Doctor Who that we see with, say, the Dominators and that kind of thing, where it's a bit more—I don't know—it suddenly feels like a different series. When you look at that, it's like Blue Peter's I think been JR, You is,
3: mentioned last time about what a difference it was from the Ice Warriors, which was only you know yeah, mm, the a story few stories before. before. Yeah, I think absolutely.
0: Tomb of the Cybermen lowered our expectations, mm. didn't it? Mm. It made us not expect too much because they've. You know, when Tomb of the Cybermen was found, that was the first complete story from series, season five, wasn't it? Mm. And everybody had made this great big thing about how awesome season five was. But then when you saw Tomb, everybody said, oh, right, well, it is sort of on the same level as the stories that we Mm. have from season six. After all, it's not this... It's not this great, astonishing work that's light years beyond anything else. It's just the same, pretty much. Mm. So when these two came back, I think people's expectations had been lowered to appropriate (laughs) levels. Exactly. And then after you watch them, for the people who haven't
1: seen these, um, anybody who's a Doctor Who fan has to... They have to go and buy this on DVD. Just do it. Because they are superb. They are superb. They're my... I think they're my favourite Troughtons, actually. I mean, the, the War Games is probably still my favourite, but they are high. They are both very high. <laughs> Web of Fear's amazing!
0: <clears throat> uh, anyway, we get on to that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, did anybody else watch The Tenth Planet this week as well? Indeed, yeah. Uh, I'd take it Simon and Lee didn't, though.
2: No, not unless you want to buy us a copy.
0: <laughs> Why, you buy? can buy your own DVDs, can't you? <laughs>
2: Yeah, you need money to buy DVDs. <laughs> oh, we could always okay. start to, get... to be fair, I've virtually could...
3: skinted myself this month with uh, random uh, Doctor Who-ness. Hey, but, I've, uh, got a, I, yeah, me too.
2: I've got a wedding to pay for, for God's sake.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: oh, fair enough. I just wondered if... Well, I did want to talk about The Tenth Planet as well, because I think it sits very nicely next to The Web of Fear. I find them both rather similar, and not for the obvious reason. What's the obvious reason, Mark?
3: I'm trying to think what the obvious reason is. It's not very obvious to me.
0: Base Under Siege?
3: Oh, all right, yeah, I'll give you that.
0: I mean, Tenth Planet was the first iteration of it, mm-hmm. and Web of Fear is probably the most famous or revered iteration of it, but it's essentially the same story, isn't it?
3: I think Web is a bit more interesting just because of the location.
0: Do you really think so? Do you think I it's think more so, yeah. interesting because of the location or do you find it more watchable because well, of the in location? In terms of a
3: base under siege, in, just in those terms, I yeah, think it's I'd less, have thought The uh, less uh,
0: Antarctic base was more of an interesting base to be under siege than the London Underground. Or a room in the London Underground, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. So, OK then, what did everybody think of the Web of Fear? Simon?
2: Ah, I thought it was great. I, I, <laughs> I, I've been watching it through the week. Um, I think much like yourself, Joe, I've been taking, mm. as and when I get the time, to slip an episode in here and there without falling asleep because I've had one hell of a week. But I'm not going to go into detail on that. Um, it it just looks great. The The first episode, I know we already had that. The filmic element to that is lovely and, and builds up to it. Travis is just brilliant. Um and as for Evans, oh my God! Talk about the Jar Jar being so Doctor <laughs> Who, seriously?
3: Oh come on, no way! He's oh, awesome. Do- <laughs> <laughs> We're going to call this episode "Good Evans."
2: <laughs> yeah, um.
3: I think he's fine. Actually, I thought he was fine. Really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. he's like a he's like a prototype uh, Talfrin. Really? Doctor
2: really
0: Who? <laughs> yeah, there's always characters like that in Doctor Who. Though I
2: don't know how. Fraser Hines kept a straight face with that guy acting in his face. There's one point where he looks him straight in the eyes, with his mouth pursed <laughs> like Jar Jar Binks, and and his eyes wider than I don't know.
3: Hey, he does um, pull some pretty weird expressions.
2: Yeah, and um,
3: <laughs> well they, they have, they have a week
2: of rehearsals face. to get that out of their system. Yeah, don't they, don't they do, they do. Um, and as you said, Victoria's completely surplus to requirements. Completely. Um, Oh, no, I didn't
0: say she was surplus to requirements. You said they used Victoria as well as she could possibly be used. Yeah. And I'm thinking, no, she's a whining, whimpering idiot. She is. They didn't use her very well at all. No, no, no. And wow. I think Enemy of the World showed that as well. Oh, my God. She's yeah. the whiniest Doctor Who companion ever. Yeah, I mean, that, I
1: think I said that, didn't I? That's the best that they could do with her, really. is <laughs> to stick her in the kitchen with an Aussie cooking some food. But uh, in The Web of Fear, she was even worse. It was terrible. If I've, you could have erased yeah. her completely from the story, you wouldn't have missed her one jot.
0: No. I, um, you know, my favourite companion team has always been Patrick Trout and... Fraser Hines and Wendy Padbury, because mm-hmm. we had all those season mm-hmm. six stories, and I always thought, and I wonder if the team with uh, Debbie Watling rather than Wendy Padbury is just as good. And these two stories have absolutely confirmed that. No, it's not.
2: Oh yeah, it, it puts Wendy Padbury into sharp relief. It really does. Mm. I mean, I've I've always been slightly indifferent to her, but um,
3: what what? I you think you b- believe them as a family <laughs> unit, but I'm not she talking is. about
2: a Lee. Seriously. Lee's pointing to his bottom.
3: Mm. Okay, let's
0: not do visual jokes on our audio podcast.
3: <laughs> I, no. I was going to say, I think you believe them more as like a family unit. Um, but, yeah, if you compare the two the two time teams, I think Zoe's definitely got Far the superior. advantage.
1: Yeah, her acting ability is <laughs> it's like she's doing Shakespeare and... Um, and Victoria's doing the Teletubbies. It's outrageous the difference, but it's not her fault, is it? I mean, you look at the script and she's given nothing to play to do apart from screaming and go. What's that, Doctor? <laughs> oh, mm. by the way, just a of point of interest if you're at all interested. If you go seven minutes into the Web of Fear, there's a moment where they both, uh, all three of them, are looking at the scanner, and Jamie puts his hand on a light bulb and burns his hand, <laughs> and he he just carries on, of course, regardless. But you watch it next time.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right.
2: I've never noticed that before. I tell you, another highlight is when the Yeti gets shot in the face. that? There's a bit oh, where um, Yeti gets shot in the face. You know, with the big gunfight. All of a sudden, the Yeti gets shot in the face. I'm thinking, this is Tarantino. Do. <laughs> <laughs> Are
0: you talking about episode four? Yes. Covent Garden. Yeah. <laughs> Don't really think it was quite Tarantino esque.
3: <laughs> Let's be quite honest about Isn't there, this.
2: There must have been some the smell of searing fur. You really enjoyed that bit, didn't you, Mark?
3: I liked it. I loved it. I think the direction is superb in this. Um, I mean, Dougie Camfield has got quite a reputation, and I think he does a really good job of making a budget of ten pound fifty look like a lot more.
2: And do you know what's a really real big deal about this episode is is it's the Brigadier's first episode, yeah. And I've not heard anyone talk about it. And he's brilliant. That's because in it. it doesn't exist. <laughs> well, no, no. I mean, as soon as when they announced that this episode, this story was available again, hmm. um, nobody sort of went, "Oh my god, Yeti!" or "Oh, it's Troughton. Nobody said it. Said nobody said, it, um, "It's the Brigadier's first story." It's and it and it was. He was really, really good. I'm not a huge Brigadier fan. I do, you know, I find his acting slightly ropey at times, and um, that's going to upset a few people I know. But uh, I thought he was really, really good in this.
0: Ah, but the thing is, Simon. Of course, the episode that's missing is the first episode that he appears in. It is. This is his first story. I think
1: that's what you're trying to say. But um, yeah. then the brig uh, from the offset, as I wanted, to, I've got to agree with you. Is straight away he's running. He's hit the ground running with He's the He's a proper character. action hero, isn't he? Yeah, and you know, what? I, I kind of disagree on Simon on the fact that his acting is a bit ropey. I think um, Nicholas Courtney is the same character all the way through his tenure. He, he changes a little bit near the end because he gets older, and uh, and you would do. But I think, you know, straight away, Nicholas Courtney has nailed this character. He carries yes. him through all the way for the next thirty, forty odd years. It's absolutely. We well, always had bang something on.
3: about him for them to ask him back,
1: didn't he? Yeah, yeah, and he—you know—you can tell he takes the role seriously. And he's, uh, there's something about—I um, was talking to uh, somebody the other day about acting, and uh, you can tell when somebody's doing a good job because they don't look like they're acting. And mm-hmm. I think Nick does that really well, and so does Pat and everybody else. But Anne Travers. Uh, yeah, she's acting, and that that just got on my wick. The first episode, she's fine, but by the, by the end of it, I'm thinking, stop trying to remember your lines and just say something natural. It doesn't matter. Sadly, it
0: she's badly served by the script as well. No, oh, she is. I suppose she yeah. gets that really nice scene in the first episode that we all know because obviously we've seen that episode before, mm. and she gets that really nice scene where she gets to say, "And you know, uh, I became a scientist because yeah. I wanted to." You know, the famous scene that we all know. And then for the entire rest of the story, apart from one nice scene with Patrick Troughton, where they have that dreadful baffle gab about the whatever it is thing they're working on. <laughs> apart from that, she's pretty much just a whimpering female like Victoria. Mm, yeah, It's all a bit sad, really. Badly served by the script. I'm not entirely sure it's the actress's fault. I think it's more down to the script.
3: Hmm.
2: She reminded me of um, the photographer in The Invasion, actually.
0: Isabel. You man. (laughs) Oh, yeah, but I think in The Invasion, Isabel is a bit more of a swinging 60s girl who's got a bit more get up and get in there Hmm. about her. I think Anne Travers, after that first episode, the character really just kind of... Tails off. But think... Wasn't it
3: supposed to be um, Anne Travers and Professor Travers in the invasion, but then hmm. they realised they didn't have the rights to use them? Oh, really? Didn't know that. I think so, yeah. I'm sure I've read that somewhere. Yeah. Probably, yes,
0: because um, Haseman and Lingan had the great big squabble over yeah. the Dominators, and that's what nixed the third Yeti story as well, presumably. Mm. Uh, but yeah. they were still able to use the Brigadier, so they must have sorted something out for that. But both female actresses, like um, Simon says, were,
1: uh, you know, they 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 weren't delivering their lines very well. The, the stresses were in the wrong place, and it just felt very forced and not very good. But you know, that's that's really a small complaint um, in 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 what is essentially an absolute classic.
0: Oh, really? Do you think so? Yeah, I actually, <clears throat> yes, I would say this is a classic, definitely. Because I think it was very badly written.
1: Oh you writer <laughs> wow well, i mean
0: um, in what way well it's just so random and holy and oh, all I... over the place yeah. it's it's it should have been shorter it doesn't have mm-hmm. an awful lot of story and okay i like the fact that it's six episodes and it takes its time because i like the setting and i like being in that setting but the writers haven't really thought very much about how they're going to stretch that story across the six episodes. For example, what's the cliffhanger on episode four? It's the great intelligence turning up in Professor Travers's body and revealing what the plot's all about. Well, that's two-thirds of the way through your story. And how do they resolve that situation? The great intelligence says, OK, everybody take 20 minutes, have till the end of the episode, <laughs> and, I'll be, and I'll be back in episode six to uh, have mm. the great big confrontation. But that, that's back all writing from the 60s, surely.
3: We know, we know no, how old Doctor he works. He was probably on holiday.
2: I Somehow I got a hunch when he said, right, take 20 minutes. I thought, yeah, they are literally going to take 20 minutes now. <laughs> to,
0: to but there's other all stuff as well. It's mm. like in episode four. The battle in Covent Garden that everybody goes on about, yeah, fair enough. I don't don't think it's as praiseworthy as people are making out. I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah, but it's pretty functional, really. I mean, given the money and the resources and the budget, yes, it looks good for the money and the budget. I think it's up there with any of the action stuff from the poetry years. I'm not just saying that no um, i don't think it is i think once you got into the poetry years things like the ambassadors of death completely outdid it Mm. but that's not the point i was making the point i was making is so they wanted to put a battle sequence in episode four so in order to put a battle sequence in episode four and kill off all your extras and a bunch of your main cast as well you've got to find some excuse to get the you know your cast and your extras out there into the battle zone so, what do they write into the plot? Do they write them discovering something that they have to go out and check out? Do they find the Yeti's base and they think, OK, let's make a attack on this and see if we can't resolve it this way? No, they have the Doctor saying, I've got a magic box, and the Colonel, who's been in the British Army for God knows how many years, but he's risen to the rank of Colonel, and after all these years of experience in the British Army, he meets this complete stranger who says, I've got a magic box, and says... Oh, I know what we'll do. We'll have this battle by going out and looking for the magic box.
1: Yeah, but they're fighting Yeti. And and London's full of webs, so he's going to believe anything at this point, isn't
0: he? I would. Well, I don't think he is. There's a bit of a difference (laughs) between believing in the evidence of your own eyes, i.e., robots, and web and just taking on trust that somebody's got a magic box (laughs)
2: Um, there was a really interesting, well it's a very short interview on uh, Radio 5 over the weekend I had Neil Gaiman on and John Levine and uh, Neil Gaiman made the point of how the brilliance of Doctor Who is how they can do something as random as have a story about Yeti in the Himalayas which makes complete sense and then think to themselves, where can we stick the Yeti next? I know London Underground. Mm. It's just, it's just out there. Another program could do that and go that mad, and it would work because it does work.
0: Yeah. Oh yes, it does work. But what I'm saying is, what you have is a nice idea, and a, yes, a mad idea, which is the Yeti in the Underground, filmed atmospherically. And I think, I think there's a lot of evidence to suggest that in the rehearsal rooms, Douglas Camfield and his cast rewrote quite a lot of the dialogue in that script to paper over how thin the script actually was because you know a decent pair of writers would have said to themselves right we've got a battle sequence here in this episode Mm. let's come up with a plausible explanation for how everybody gets maneuvered into the right location for it to happen but they didn't they came up with the most implausible explanation they possibly could And I think the actors and the directors papered over that by making it sound vaguely plausible (laughs) by the way they talked about it.
2: One of the lines I really liked was where um, Travers comes in taken over by the great intelligence. But they're not called the great intelligence in this at all, though, are they? It's just called the intelligence. So I don't Where does great intelligence come from? Is that from the Abominable Snowman? Yeah Yeah Okay um, But he he says I will give you 20 minutes what? I will leave you to Make your mind up Awful I know And I thought
0: And that, <laughs> I've got to say His acting in that scene Was pretty appalling as well Oh
2: dear Yeah His
0: I know, it's, it doesn't the way Richard E. Grant does it, just by doing it cold and dead, it's so much more effective. Yeah, that is better. This was the 60s, though, and it was a kid's show. There's no disguise in the fact that it was a kid's show, so he was doing that performance for the kids.
1: Listen, do you, do you think that this has been around for, has been discovered, uh, you know, and it's been around for a long time? Do you think Stephen Moffat knew about this? Because, you know, he's brought the, the great intelligence back and it's a major part of the the, the new Doctor Who what do you think
0: yeah we
3: talked about that last week lee and we all said yes
1: yeah good i agree
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh the other I thing i think for some of the misgivings you might have about some of the supporting cast in the performances i thought a couple of the better ones were the very oily um, reporter <laughs> yeah yes. I, it, I know it's a bit of a caric- caricature but i thought that was <clears throat> quite entertaining i don't think there's anybody disappointing in the cast i think the yeah. cast is brilliant And of course Evans, who's the best thing in it. I think he's amazing. Well, I was
0: going to bring this point up that I also watched 10th Planet this week and I found them very similar and for a similar reason Hmm. in that in both stories the directors have taken a not very good script and what they've done is they've cast it really well. Hmm. They've directed the cast really well. They've evidently paced it really. You know, people talk about the directors as if all they do is point cameras and edit action sequences not the case pace in a story is not about how quickly you edit it it's about how the cast run through the dialogue there's so much 1960s doctor who where the cast are talking to each other so slowly waiting for each other to finish sentences before they come up and you can see in their faces oh well, just a minute, wait until, what's the line where I can say my next line? You know, what's the end of this line going to be? And then I can speak again. And it's like, get a decent director in, and they make the dialogue feel natural. And Tenth Planet, which surprised me, because I've seen Tenth Planet, you know, before, any number of times, and always found it awful, because of the plot. But actually, it's so well directed, the cast do such a really good job with it, that actually, watching it this week, I thought, oh, actually, this isn't all that bad at all. And it's very entertaining watch, in fact. Which you is know something... what, I know
3: they're stuck together with bits of sellotape, but I bloody love those first Cybermen.
0: Yeah, that's not what I'm talking about again either, Mark. I'm talking about the actors and the director. And my point is, The Web of Fear, it's not just got great acting and direction of the actors but it's also got that great atmospheric idea of the london underground being playing host to an invasion so for my money even though the script is appalling and it's got all these dreadful things in it you can tell the bits where the dialogue wasn't rewritten by the actors in the studio the Techno babble bit that I was talking about a few minutes ago. Obviously, nobody dared touch a line of that because they didn't want to mess it up. And what was coming out of Pat Troughton and uh, oh, I can't remember the actress who plays um, Anne Travers yeah, Mouth yeah. was just diabolical. I felt so sorry watching the pair of them in that scene. They both had an expression on their face like a scared rabbit oh, trying not to fluff the techno technobabble. The war was and yet good. It, was it was just
2: nonsense. <laughs> I, I was distracted by how amazing Pat Troughton's hair was during that scene, though. It was massive.
0: Yeah, it was. It was uh, like he'd uh, just got out of the bunk bed in the next room or something.
2: I mean, but coming back to the fact that these have just been found, though, I do feel like it's a real a window, more than most of the other Troughton episodes that we have, um, a window into what it was really like during that era, era. And it's like Lee says, I just want to see more of it. Um, and can I just say one amazing moment, and this is coming from the so bad it's good thing, is, um, that, is it staff? Is that the old guy staff? Yeah. When he dies and they find his body and they'll go, oh my God, he's been made up as a black and white minstrel.
0: (laughs) I haven't got to episode six yet. Oh, sorry. I made this confession before, (laughs) when you're listening, just before
2: we started I was, I was, I was, but I just take it for granted, you know.
0: Oh yeah 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 but I yeah so here's my confession to the listener like you I've been watching this all week and I just haven't found the time so I've only watched the first five t- maybe I should have skipped the first one or the third one <laughs>
1: There are some fantastic images in it. I mean, the, apart from the fact that we could go on and on and on and on about how bloody amazing those sets were, um, you know, it had a great sound to it as well. Somebody did mix the sound brilliantly because,
0: as I was watching it... It sounds like they're walking on wooden floors. No, well, it sounds like... When <laughs> as t- they're walking through the platforms, <laughs> it sounds like they're walking on wooden floors. No, no,
1: listen to the voices. They're all echoey and it, it sounds like they're in a tunnel. So you can understand why the London Underground contacted them and said, hey, you've been filming an officially um we should do you for this and they said no no it's all sets. It's hard to believe they're sets. It's hard because they do look so good. But um there's a great image isn't there of um one of the guys coming out of the web who's been killed and he's in a gas mask with webs all over him and I mm. oh that's gotta be my profile pick now. It's fantastic. <laughs> so creepy and beautiful. And I would have been scared stiff as a kid watching that actually. Gotta say. But uh,
0: Oh yeah, yeah it would have been terrifying. And that's, you know, that's its function, isn't it? To scare the kids. And it does it brilliantly. Mm, mm. Uh, speaking of sets, though, I noticed some great wobbly set action in both stories, Enemy of the World and the Web of exactly. Fear.
1: Exactly. So Toby Haydoke, who's, um, who does a stand-up and talks about wobbly sets, um, and he, he goes on to say, that, no, there's only one wobbly set or something. He actually knows Four. Exactly. There's, more four there's wobbly now more. Sets. He's going to have to change that line.
0: <laughs> to six. Yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah,
2: yeah. No, it's, it's, I just want to see more Trouton now. I think we see we see him at his peak in these two stories. He, I mean, there's a he's, great
0: he's, bit in episode five when I think he says to Anne Travers, "Don't give up" or something along the lines like that, mm. and his face is just beautiful.
2: Yeah, mm. Fraser Hines as well. They were they were a yeah yeah. It's a shame, really, in some respects, about the Matt Smith Rory thing because. Rory was sort of coming through as a much stronger and likeable character than Amy. And it's a shame, because for a little bit of time, for a very short amount of time, you kind of felt that there was that Troughton dynamic there with Rory, the Doctor and Amy. But unfortunately, Amy was so, such a, uh, I don't know what the word is. Cow? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. Such a an intense character. who kind Dominating? Of, dominating, yeah. who, who, who demanded attention during the stories that there was never a particularly nice balance between the three characters and um that you you kind of get the well certainly you get that with the zoe time with with victoria it's it's well we've already said it just doesn't well
0: i still want the rest of those episodes back but my god We'll have to sit through more of Victoria in order to do so. <laughs> <laughs> and we, and you know, if, if they should ever find Fury from the Deep, that's the story that is resolved by Victoria screaming.
3: Oh, um, oh.
2: Well, we now we now know now that that Victoria. I mean, it, it takes some talent though to be more whiny than Perry. So mm-hmm. she's this weird mix of Perry and the shrieking of Bonnie Langford kind of a mix of the two because she's not a bad looking lass is she
0: i don't know she's pretty enough yeah. no, she's more like Carol Ann ford falling over and uh, spraining her ankle every week yeah. <laughs> it's like she's sprained her personality every week
3: <laughs> ouch <laughs>
0: i'm not i don't and i'm not having a go at the actress, I'm talking about the character. Yeah, mm. you know this is a great advertisement for don't write historical characters as companions. Although weirdly, Jamie comes out of it pretty well, doesn't he? Yeah, but there's absolutely nothing historical whatsoever there ever about Jamie. He's just a he's a, he's one of the Beatles <laughs> in the TARDIS. That's literally it. Jamie and the Doctor during this period are just literally like. You know, John Lennon and Paul McCartney in the TARDIS.
1: I think he's one of the monkeys,
0: actually. Okay. Oh,
1: that's my tumbleweed moment. I've missed that.
3: One <laughs> of the monkeys. Why one of the monkeys?
1: Well, he's, he's kind of more playful. They're, they're more like the monkeys. Well, I've seen Patrick
3: Trout and his Mike Nesmith because of his love of hats. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, they are. They're more like that. I mean, I know that the Beatles were painted as you know four fellas having a bit of a laugh, but it's even they're even more monkeys. The the Tardis crew, I tell you. Oh yes, they have are.
0: not seen help? Yeah,
2: well,
1: it's, they're a, they're acting again, aren't they? As the monkeys aren't genuinely funny. You don't I, think the monkeys are A huge are
2: amount of help. He's winding me up. A huge amount of help was was made up on the spot. A load of that was John Lennon. A load of it was. Yeah, don't you think that's going on here as well? <laughs> no, I love help. I'm going to wind you up. <laughs> Look at his
3: face. Oh, oh you can't see it. <laughs> Hard Day's mm. Night was better.
2: <sighs> Ooh, different. <laughs> Magical Mystery Tour. Magical Mystery Tour, yeah, odd. Yeah, anyway.
3: Welcome miss- to the Beatles podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Um. Have we finished talking about Web of Fear now?
0: Oh, have you got something else you want to talk about?
2: Well, at some point, yeah. Yeah, but go oh, on. Go on then. No, I was going to say, of course, the trailer. Are we going to talk about the trailer? Yes,
0: yes, we should do, yeah. It would be somewhat remiss not to. We... Well, we don't usually do news because by the time this <laughs> podcast goes out, the trailer will be like a week and a half old or something, and the world will have moved on. But it does bear talking about,
1: so yeah. Before we quickly move on to that, then uh, can I just say one last thing? That um, I know Jamie was great all the way through uh, these new episodes, but there is this lovely moment, isn't there, at the end of um, Web? Oh, we can't talk about it Cause we haven't. Ah, uh, we can't talk about it. That's uh, why not? Because you you haven't watched it yet.
0: Is it a spoiler?
1: Well, it kind of is, a massive spoiler. But anyway, I'll just say that Jamie does something and and Patrick Troughton's reaction to it is excellent and you just sit there going, no, idiot. <laughs> but that's all I can say.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. I do know the story, but I was saying to Mark earlier, it's been so long since I've read the book and even though I've watched a recon in the meantime and listened to the soundtrack, I'm still thinking to myself, am I right about who the traitor is? <laughs> because I know who it is, but I keep thinking, Is it? Or mm. is it one of the mm. others? Is it? And I can't So I, I don't want to spoil episode six for myself till I watch it, because even though I know what happens, you know how it is when you're watching something for the first time. Even if you know the story, you're just thinking to yourself, Or do I?
2: The the thing with these is that you do realise that no matter what they do in, <laughs> in the form of reconstruction or anything like that, you do not get the nuance or the atmosphere no. of these these shows without seeing the real the the definitive article. Um, the
0: weird thing about episode four in this is that I spent the whole time because I watched episode three and episode four consecutively, and I spent the whole time in episode four thinking. I wonder if they'd have caught that on the telesnaps and that wouldn't have worked on the telesnaps. (laughs) And I spent the whole of episode three thinking, well, now that I've seen episode two and I'm about to watch episode four, what am I missing in this scene? What's going on while that telesnaps up on the screen? All that kind of (laughs) stuff. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. You can't really help it, can you? No. And it'll probably be the telesnaps on the DVD as well, I'd imagine.
3: I would have thought so. I
0: don't. Yeah, a lot of people are saying. have oh. the time to animate it, that's
3: for sure.
0: And not only will they not have the time to animate it, because uh, a lot of people are saying, oh, surely they must animate it or do something like that. But it's not just that they won't have the time, because if they'd wanted to animate it, they'd just hold back the DVD for another couple of months or whatever till it was ready. Mm. But the fact is, the animations are uh, brought to BBC Worldwide through the contract with Pup Limited, which is Dan Hall's company. Hmm. and those DVDs with the animations on, they're all made by PUP, whereas the Enemy of the World and the Web of Fear DVDs are just direct from BBC Worldwide. They've got nothing to do whatsoever with the PUP contract, so the animations aren't even going to come close to these DVDs. They're two entirely separate
3: things. I also wouldn't be too surprised if there's not a massive wealth of uh, extras on these DVDs either. I don't think its I think it's going to be a fairly vanilla release.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, there won't be any extras either. All the extras, the animation is an extra, all the extras are done by Pup Limited, and these are just being released, mm. the episodes, on a disc by BBC Worldwide.
2: Is that why you've got the cover redesign? Why the covers are going to look different? Yeah,
3: yeah.
0: yeah. Having said that, I th- I expect, fully expect there to be a reversible sleeve where the... Um, standard format is on mm. the inside, so mm. you can turn the sleeve inside out and have a standard format. Mm. But yeah, that's why the sleeves are different. You know, that's why everything's different. Everything and having changes. And said that, with if you told me last year I could
3: be watching The Web of Fear and The Enemy of the World you'd have on I would have been quite happy. Yeah, you'd yeah. have
0: sacrificed the extras and the Absolutely. animation and stuff like that to have these episodes back. Mm. Mm. So, you know, it's... It's a case of, you know, you takes
2: your poison. Do you think that because these episodes have come to life, um, not to life, to light, um, that 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 will take away the people who are paying for these animations to be made are going to go, yeah, do you know what? You know, it's not such a safe bet that we're never going to see these episodes, so we're not going to put the money towards them anymore.
0: I know, because they're already, the budgets are already paid out. Okay. Well,
2: there are what well, there's a limited number of stories they can actually do it to. Is it all stories with say maybe maybe one or two episodes missing then?
0: No, 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 no. It wasn't no, that you know Dan Hall said something that people have taken out of context and Dan Hall said, you know, somebody said to Dan Hall, "What stories will you animate?" and he said, "We don't know, but what we'll do is we'll look at the budgets and the criteria and You know, we'll make a decision on a story-by-story basis, and somebody said, well, you know, give us some of the criteria, and he said, well, you know, the budget will only stretch as far as about two episodes, so anything with more than two episodes missing won't be animated. But, you know, that doesn't mean that anything with two episodes missing will be animated, that's just one of the criteria. So people were expecting the Crusade to be animated. And people are still expecting the Underwater Menace to be animated. And I don't think that's ever been absolutely confirmed. (laughs) No. So so the Moonbase may well have been the last one anyway. Okay. So I don't think anything's changed with regards to these episodes having turned up and, you know, the potentiality being now that somebody's on the case looking in these places you know he could find more, and he might well find, if he does find more, the episodes that have been animated. But those budgets for the animation were spent a long time ago. You don't pay for the animations after they're done. You pay for these things in advance. Mm. So you know if that money was spent. Those animations will be made. This won't have any effect on that whatsoever. Okay. Anything that was going to be animated will be animated. Well,
2: it's just as well they didn't find episodes they'd already animated, isn't that really? Well, yeah. So far?
0: Well, yeah, but I didn't think anybody... You know, they're being animated by Doctor Who fans. If I was a Doctor Who fan and I just spent a couple of months animating the 10th Planet episode 4 and then it had turned up, I don't think I'd have minded. No. You know, as long as I was paid for the work, (laughs) the chance to see the actual episode 4 of 10th Planet, I don't think I'd have minded. You're not
2: going to turn around and say, well, that was a waste of time, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, no, not if you're a Doctor (laughs) Who fan. No, no. You know, if you're a professional and you've been paid for the work, you're probably not going to mind whether it ever sees the light of day anyway, I suppose. Mm, mm. Absolutely. Uh, The trailer then. Mm. Uh, I thought, well, (laughs) one thing about the trailer is the absolute furore that's going on across the internet everywhere that they dared to put a looky-likey in for John Pertwee. (laughs) It
3: was a bit odd
0: have to say <laughs> it's John Pertwee I know it's a very weird picture I don't know it's not a weird picture it's okay yes it's a weird picture but it's not a weird picture in inverted commas what it is is that the trailer has been made in high definition right
3: hmm
0: well none of these guys stories were made in high definition and even say spearhead from space you can't pull a still image from spearhead from space because the grain and the texture would be wrong. So somehow you've got to find photographs of these actors that you can take the faces from and put mm-hmm. on the bodies of uh, either a dummy or an actor dressed up, whatever. So the bodies will be other people and the faces will be mapped onto the bodies, right? That's how they've <laughs> done Tom Baker. That's how yeah. they've done William Hartnell and so on. Because to get a photograph with the right texture Mm. and the right amount of information for the clothes and the hair as well would have been ridiculously difficult. Mm. So what they've done is they've sourced photographs of the faces that have a high enough resolution that you can map it onto a body in high definition for the trailer. And they've obviously struggled somewhat with the John Pertwee one. You're not kidding. Well, but the other thing is also... (laughs) <laughs> they've manipulated it because he's standing over the console. They've tried to yeah. manipulate it so that the light's falling onto the face. Mm. And in order to do that, they've obviously done perhaps just a bit too much work on the eyes and the eyebrows. And so it looks slightly odd. But the thing I is it
3: like a Madam Two Swords thing or something like that. Like they did but it Tom does Baker look odd. Doctors, yeah.
0: But I tell you what, if you take a um, screen cap of the John Pertwee, the third Doctor in the trailer, mm-hmm. and if you take the colour out, so it's in black and white, and then if you manipulate the con- manipulate the contrast slightly to take some of the glare off his face, all of a sudden, it looks dead like John Pertwee. Yeah.
3: Yeah,
2: yeah. I think you're right, Joe. I think it's more to do with the lighting on his face than anything.
0: Yeah, it's just a digital manipulation. there's something I think weird about it. I think they've probably widened his eyes as well, <laughs> or maybe changed the angle of his eyes, because the... The Could photograph knows where they nose while they were at it. Well, the pho- yeah, but what I'm saying is the photograph they've sourced, maybe he was looking in the wrong direction and they've had to change the angle of his gaze or yeah, something. maybe. So they've digitally manipulated things. And so, you know, sometimes when you're doing this stuff, you get so close into what you're doing that you maybe don't notice that you've perhaps gone a little bit too far.
2: Mm-hmm. I saw you made that point so, on Facebook, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's, I d- it's John Pertwee. I'm... Never in a million years were a bunch of television executives and advertising guys and digital artists and everybody else, model makers and a set director and all this kind of stuff. There was never in a million years a point during a meeting where they were sitting down and saying, right, how are we going to do this? OK, we'll get a dummy in for that one. We'll get a, a stand in for that one and we'll map the faces on into those two. And oh, I know what we'll do for the third doctor. We'll use a lookalike.
2: <laughs> never in a million no, years no and do you know what even if it doesn't it's not that recognisable is it it, it looks great and it didn't even occur to me
0: until to, you saw the storm on the internet
2: yeah because I just <laughs> thought well, it's representative of the third doctor I mean for God's sake you look at the back of the master's head it's definitely not Roger, De- Roger Delgado either
0: no a window dummy, I suspect. Oh,
2: yeah, or somebody with awesome slick back he? hair, but you just thought it's representative of the third Doctor era. Why could Yeah, qu- I think... Do you know what? The whole thing, this whole... Th- the people complaining about this trailer, all right, you're very, very welcome to your opinion about it, but I do wonder if they were one of those kids, when they were growing up, if their mum and dad had gone out and bought them a first car, they would have looked at it and goes, it's the wrong colour. Mm. You know, yeah. That we've in fifty years. I don't think anyone has applied that amount of effort and that amount of love into a little short sequence. That's an absolute work a of trailer. love. It's crafted. It's beautiful. Yeah. And they're finding fault in it's, Oh, it should have been this. Should have been that. And I just think, oh dear, yeah. dear. Um, you you are very, very welcome to your opinion. And you th- you can think you could have done it better. And they should have done this. Done it, should have done that. But at the same time, it exists. There is so much effort gone into that. And I'm sure People they're, they're listening to this for... and going, oh, they shouldn't have made the effort then. And they just, well, that's okay, because we love it. And we're having a whale of a time watching it over and over again with all
3: those and little they things. And I love the fact there's so much to it. And every time you watch it, you'll spot something else that you didn't see the, the previous time. Yeah,
2: and we're not talking obvious stuff. We're not, it's not for the Daleks. It's not, it's not been put together. Whoever's decided what's in it, hasn't picked like the obvious stuff at all. There's some really obscure stuff from right yeah. the way through the series. Somebody knows what I they're wonder, on about.
0: I wonder if there's actually something that's appeared in every story. And by which I mean, you know, there's a Dalek in there which counts for, you know, probably fifteen stories already. Okay. But you know what I mean? I wonder if there's a single story in the entire history of the series that isn't represented in there in some way.
1: Yeah, there might be. It might. I'm oh, just uh, just patting um, Simon's head with a damp cloth. He's getting a, it's getting a bit <laughs> hot. There. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, I, it was a bit sad not really seeing, say, Pat Tranton's face, and you know, I don't think okay. Sylvester and Connors well, represented. To... But you know what? I, I when I, when it, no, I'm agreeing with Simon um, that it started off with the policeman, which I think JR you put on something like oh. The policeman was a nice touch on Facebook. I didn't know what you're yeah. talking about until and then. I watched it and went, Oh, yeah, it is a because, great touch. And, um, and why is it beautiful. a great
0: touch? Just for people who might not know,
1: because it's the first scene, it's the first actor in Doctor Who ever,
0: isn't yeah, it? Yeah, the first thing you see the first thing you in see. the very first episode of Doctor mm. Who is the policeman. Mm.
1: And wasn't the policeman changed from the pilot to the first episode? Is that what you said? It was, yeah,
0: <laughs> poor guy. And so it became Reg Cranfield, even though the original guy's name was Fred Rawlings.
1: Probably, uh, he's bound to be a relation, us actor types, you know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, um, I said on Facebook as well that it really reminded me of a lot of the intros and the animations in the Beatles anthology series. And yeah, and yeah. there yeah, exactly the same way. It wasn't always the Beatles. They weren't always pictures of the real Beatles. A lot of the time it was people mm-hmm. dressed up and it was just there to give you the 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 taste ambience. the ambiance the atmosphere of it, um, and nobody ever questioned it. They said, Well that's not John Lennon," because there's a guy there in a the mop top. I mean, I, Lee's saying about Pat Trout not seeing his face, but I, I just the, the, just seeing him there well, at the end of the corridor. For that. He's got the Himalayas behind him as well, isn't he?
3: Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's
2: just it's lovely. It's the if it's See, like you. Yeah, go on. Well, I was just
0: going to say you have to accept that there's only so much money, only so much in the way of resources, only so much digital manipulation that can take place so when you see Patrick Trouten for behind, that's them not having been able to find a picture maybe, or just saving on resources, and when you see Colin Baker, and people made the same point about the name of the Doctor he's the actor who from the costume is absolutely unmistakable so if it saves some money not having to devote a whole lot of time and a whole lot of resources to getting his face on there as well. If it saves money just to put somebody in the costume to represent him, then if that means we can have Tom Baker, or if it means we can have Paul McGann, or if it means we can have William Hartnell instead, because, you know, there's only so many of these they can do, Hmm. then, yeah, that's a compromise
2: I think is happily made. But can I also say that sometimes your weaknesses are your strengths, and like that shot of Patrick Trouton in the background, I thought was beautiful. Very and that amazing. shot, would, you know, if they'd gone obvious and just had all the faces there, it just would have been some kind
3: of...
0: It would have been just a list of faces. Yes, exactly. Yeah,
3: William. I absolutely loved it. And it's one of those things you can watch again and again and again. And it just ramps up the excitement levels. But I really like the fact that they didn't give any plot spoilers for the programme itself. No. It was more about looking back over the last 50 years. And what was so amusing was, you know, Doctor Who fans have been banging on and on and
0: on for ages. When are they going to start advertising the 50th anniversary special? When are we going to start getting trailers? And then they get something as magical as this, and it's like... oh. <laughs> I I don't go
1: around. I think
3: the people moaning were in the minority, let's be honest. Yeah,
1: I don't go on the forums and I haven't been looking at Facebook a lot so I don't I didn't get that impression from the people I've spoken to. The ones that I spoken to are uh, you know, really liked what they saw. I was talking to Dan Barrett and David Trigger, a couple of uh, other friends of ours, and they were just they just loved it. Now the one thing that I thought I heard and maybe you can confirm this guys, that I thought I heard voices of other doctors underneath matt smith's voice as it went through the trailer was that right or was that wrong was that just my mind going a bit weird from the excitement
0: <laughs> i can't say i
3: noticed
1: i thought i heard a little bit of paul McGann's voice underneath matt's voice i saw someone
3: mention on twitter and they thought they'd heard um peter davison but yeah i, peter admit, I haven't one. picked out any other voices
1: no it wouldn't surprise
3: me at all i mean they've done the voice thing before several times haven't they Right, as soon as we finish this, I'm putting it back on again, I'm gonna stick my headphones
2: on. <laughs> <laughs> you'll probably yeah, probably if you stick Stereo headphones on, you'll probably be able to yeah. pick the things out. Somebody mentioned Tom Baker at one point, didn't oh, they? Somebody else did, yeah. I don't know who it was. But somebody mentioned Tom Baker on a certain line. Um
0: Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean that would be that would be what you'd expect them to do. I just hadn't noticed it, but I would have imagined I would have been more surprised if they hadn't done that. Really, I guess. Now that you've brought it up,
2: mm-hmm. how because did they? Um, it's so
0: easy, so much easier to do the voices than the faces, isn't it?
2: Yeah, but I mean, the the Hartnell face, my God, it was beautiful, wasn't it? Yeah, it really was. This is this is what gets me. I don't. I I, I wonder whether some of these people are aware of what it takes to put something like this together.
0: I, oh yeah, that's a lot of work goes
2: into it. Incredible amount of
1: work. It's
0: in 3D as well, isn't it? Is it in 3D? Is it supposed to be in 3D? It uh, looked- well, it looks like it was made in 3D. Uh, it's not been shown on telly yet in 3D, mm. but I can't imagine that it's not in 3D. I imagine it will go into cinemas in 3D. Ooh, really? It definitely looks. Well, it definitely looks like it was made in 3D. It'll be. I can't imagine it not being shown in 3D somewhere.
1: Should we should we all pay for a ticket to go and see a film? Just watch the
2: trailer and then stand up and walk out. <laughs> that's what people did. Um,
0: Star Wars. Yeah,
2: yeah. Meet Joe Black. Everyone went to see Joe Meet Joe Black just to see the Phantom Menace trailer and then walked out again.
0: That really was a waste of money. I should have stuck for the first twenty-five minutes <laughs> of the film. I know. Actually, there's a great bit in the middle of that <laughs> film where Brad Pitt. I don't think that's a terrible film. You know, it just goes on too long. There's a great bit in the middle where he goes into the. Um, Caribbean accent right do you know the bit I mean (laughs) Uh, you have to see the film to know what I'm talking about but it's a really spooky bit in the middle of the film Mm. Mm. there's some great stuff in that film but we're not here to talk about films is it on par
3: with Pierce Brosnan singing in Mamma Mia (laughs) 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 I know it's a a really good performance by Brad Pitt Mark Mark. really good
1: Mark you're not allowed to swear on this podcast okay I'm sorry don't ever say that word again E- Mamma Mia! Oh, can you bleep those bits out, Simon?
2: <laughs> JR's editing. J. R. is the editor.
0: I'll edit the entirety of Lee out. Yeah,
2: yeah. If
0: he doesn't stop talking in the background.
2: Of course, they've just announced, haven't they? The um, <laughs> what cinemas are showing the fiftieth, uh, aren't they? And uh, mm, our yeah. lo- our local our, our local our local cinema is showing it on the twenty-third. Two of our I, local cinemas are... Have well,
3: you got nothing on that day, have you, Simon? No,
2: I've got nothing on that day. But somebody mentioned that one of the other cinemas might be showing it another day, so might yet get the chance to go and see it in 3D, even if it's a huge waste of money.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah, but... I'm sure Lee's think... got a mate who can just film it on his phone and give you a rip <laughs> copy if you like. <laughs>
0: yes, Mark, you can do that, can't you? <laughs> you know why this is happening, though, don't you?
1: No, you know when
0: um, David Yates came out And said he wanted to make a Doctor Who movie And then Stephen Moff- Moffat came out And said no not without me you don't Well this is Stephen Moffat's way Of getting Doctor Who into the cinema So he can head the Doctor Who movie off at the pass It's all politics You know So there's no movie then
1: <laughs> I still think there will be Right I'm going to say goodbye And you can carry Thank on god for that <laughs> Cheerio chaps have a nice time <laughs> Bye, Lee. <clears throat> Don't choke on your
0: spaghetti, JR.
2: Lee's off to do a radio show.
0: Thank God for that. We'll have less of you two playing around in the background.
2: There's not been much at all. <sighs> not as much as usual.
3: Oh, I
0: don't know. It's been pretty awful. Um, <laughs> we do have a few emails. Shall we do the emails? Yeah, go on then. Um Oh, i tell you what. Graham Boyd wrote in... I don't know. Have you two listened to the um, the podcast we d- I did with the um, the other chaps about uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, guilty, guilty pleasures. pleasures! Yeah, That's I've the, listened to that. very good. For. Yeah. So, uh, well, Graham Boyd writes. Hey all. So, the curse of the black spot, spaceship debacle. Here's a quick defence. The Tardis is there, and it translates language. Piloting a ship, be it sea bound or space, has a kind of language. Done. Okay, thanks. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> well, you
3: can't, you know, it's difficult to fault his logic there. No. Well, wasn't this the one that was entitled In Defense of JR? The email. Or was it? Yeah, I think so. Okay, I didn't look at the header, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're, you're bound to uh, take his side, aren't you? <laughs> well, of course I am.
0: Slash Only... JR, you're wrong. No, he's backing up my point that I made in the first place. Why would I take against him?
3: This is true. This is true.
0: Uh, Damien, this is nice. Damien Ashley writes, and actually wrote this a while ago on a, and it was attached to something else that wasn't going to be read out. So I completely forgot about this, but I found it today and I thought, no, I'm not going to forget about it any longer. I'm going to bring this one out of the hat and surprise him with it. So, Damien, you wrote this a long time ago. He says, am I wrong to be intensely annoyed at people who refer to 10 or 11 rather than the 10th or the 11th doctor?
3: as a whole can of worms opened up there.
0: And I only if you listen to the kind of podcast that you listen to, Mark. <laughs> and I said to him, no, you're not wrong to be intensely annoyed at that. It is, in fact, intensely annoying. Is it? Don't so you think
2: so? Or is it intensely lazy. Annoying.
0: It's lazy is what it is. It's like, if you can't be bothered to say the 10th Doctor, you say 10. If you can't be bothered to say Doctor Who fan, you say Whovian.
3: You know, it's that kind of laziness. I think um, Stephen Schepansky from Radio Friscaro and Warren Fry would argue that it's a very good way of winding up their co-host, Chris Burgess. Because he finds it intensely annoying, so they make a point of doing it.
0: And are you telling me that you're going to start doing that now? No, no,
3: not at all. Not at
0: all. Okay, because I'm not that annoyed by it. At least I hope not. Not quite as much as you are
3: by the term "hoovian." No, that really
0: is annoying. (laughs) Uh, Andrew Moore writes, Just been listening to episode 33 of the podcast on 2012. Great show as usual. Oh, Andrew Moore, of course, is catching up. Yes. Because we're actually way past 33 now, aren't we? We're on 70-something. I have no idea.
3: Seventy-nine. Are we? What?
0: Seventy-nine. Blimey! Wow. He says, Andrew Moore says, great show as usual, but some of the comments showed how differently we watch the show now to the way we did in the past. Several contributors and yourselves mentioned how your opinions changed with multiple viewings. Whilst agreeing with this, it reminded me how received fan wisdom has changed towards classic series shows when they've been available more widely. The Gunfighters was always seen as a bit of a dog in the past, but on its DVD release has been completely rehabilitated. On the other hand, many Pertwee stories are now seen as flimsy runarounds and not the space operas of our youth. It may be a bit of flimsy, <clears throat> it may be a bit of a flimsy idea, and one you may have done in a show I haven't got to yet. But how about a show on stories that have seen the biggest swings in fan sentiment? On a different point, how many times a day it is unhealthy to watch the new trailer? <laughs> well, you know, he does suggest we do an episode about. St- stories or periods that you know, fan opinion has swung about
3: I think it's pretty much all of it though, really mm. We did cover time. that a little mm. bit in Guilty Pleasures to a degree didn't you? Yeah Trying to argue and... a case for something that's generally not mm. looked on as particularly good and then seeing the good in it
0: I think it's something that comes up quite often as well when we just sort of go off on a bit of a chat about something Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if after guilty pleasures, I don't know if you could actually try and do a whole episode on that because we did cover so much of that ground in that episode. But nevertheless, it's still an interesting subject. The way yeah. fandom kind of, you know, Paul
3: Cornell. I mean, there are certain generation. stories that are untouchable, that don't get any kind of criticism. Like Horns of Nyman, that is awesome. Mm, yeah. No, even Talons of
0: Weng Chiang, I've seen a bit of a backlash against that in the last sort of couple of years. And to me that would be one of the classics. And Genesis of the Daleks, the reputation of that story is always up and down a bit because you you'll you know, you'll have certain waves of people saying how brilliant it is and then you'll and then you'll see the comment several times in a row about how it's just a Terry Nation run around with Davros as the icing on the cake, so and you know that's where I'd fall. I don't think it's that great, but I think it's brilliantly directed and well cast again. I think David Maloney's rather like uh, Derek Martinez, and there's some hilarious Doug bits of Davros
3: bouncing off the um, the scenery as he goes along. It's awesome.
0: Here's <laughs> a question for you then: Doug Camfield, Derek yeah. Martinez, David Maloney. Were there mm. any directors in the entire history of Doctor Who that didn't have a name beginning with a D that were as good as those three? or that did have a name beginning with a D that weren't as good as those three, because it strikes me that if your name starts with the same letter as the word director, <laughs> then you're pretty much odds-on to be one of the greats. I think Fiona Cumming was pretty good. Not as good as those three, though. Mm. I mean, I like Fiona Cumming, but I don't think she was in the same class as those three. Mm. I'd have loved to have seen those three making feature films. Hmm.
3: It would have been pretty awesome. Dougie Camfield in particular.
0: I don't know, you know. I think Derek Martinez and David Millow, I think all three of them, I wouldn't like to separate them, but I don't know why Douglas Canfield gets the reverence above the other two in particular. I think the other two are every bit as good as he is. And I think you're just being a cliche there, Mark, by saying yes, especially Douglas Camfield.
3: Oh, I just think he's great. I mean, not to deride the others, but... I think he's one of the, the standouts.
0: Yes, and the other two, are the other two stand out. But also they all stand I mean, out together. But also, the Doug-
2: three
3: who
0: direct.
2: <laughs> Douglas Canfield's period, though, was has been far kind of better documented, isn't it? Certainly, f- photographically, he he's much more of a personality in our eyes, a bit like another Barry Letts character.
0: Well, I tell you what happened with Douglas Canfield. He died young, and there's something so romantic about that.
3: It elevates yeah, anything you've ever that.
0: done way beyond its proper standard. One- I am a
3: bit of a sucker for those sort of stories. And he's
0: also mm. one of the
2: Morbius incarnations, isn't he? If indeed it is, those are the Morbius incarnations. And so is Christopher Barry. Yeah. And he directed oh dear.
3: Robot and the Creature yeah. from the Pits. Dodgy ground there, Simon. Yeah. <laughs> get away from those get away from those cobblestones. Yeah.
0: Mm. Okay, finally one last email. Ian Martin. <clears throat> I thought you were going to say Ian Martyr for a minute. No, Ian Martin. Close, but no cigar. He says, fascinated by the comments thread on Den of Geek under the story... No, no, we don't mention Den of Geek. Who? Fascinated by the comments thread on a certain other place under the story Moffat teases Regeneration Count Problem. Have you two seen this? Yes, I have. Yeah, I've, I've read people the article they go anyway. back
3: and count their DVD collection.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, we'll get to that, Mark. We'll get to that. He's going to bring it up in the email. I'm just asking you if you've seen it. (laughs) I'm sorry. He says, Some people are honestly going to be aggrieved when Michael Jaston doesn't appear in a Twelfth Doctor story. (laughs) Some people just can't count and are frothing that Capaldi must be the final incarnation. Others citing that whole War Games punitive face change fandango as a non-regeneration. Some say Hurt is just a really aged McGann. Others that he's the spawn of a regenerating Handy Doctor. It's the level of anger directed at Moffat that scares me and the level of self-righteousness that their theory must be the right one. Mm. Me, Mm. I think (laughs) when... He says, me, I think when the actor after Capaldi decides to call it a day, they'll just say he absorbed all the regeneration energy from all the dying Time Lords during the war and that he can go on forever. So, that was Ian Martin. Now, evidence on DVDs. We have had... On a number of occasions, on-screen evidence literally listing on-screen the Doctors in order in sequence. The next Doctor, for example, and the eleventh hour being another. Mm. So, those are the Doctors in order. All iterations of the Doctor. But for John Hurt, who, being the forgotten Doctor, would not be classed in a flashback as an iteration... So he's an extra iteration that goes in between the others. So, there is no way the on-screen evidence would suggest that William Hartnell and Patrick Troughton and John Pertwee, for example, are not three separate incarnations. Mm. So you can't use the rejuvenation no. or the war games thing to say, well, that's not a real regeneration, because it's classed as a regeneration on-screen and off Mm. if you count john hurt which is what it looks like we're supposed to do then that takes max smith matt smith up to number 12 so peter capaldi would be number 13 and the peter capaldi's Doctor's story would be the story if stephen moffat chooses to acknowledge the regeneration limit of how the doctor goes from his final life into some kind of a new regeneration cycle that's what we're going to see as far as I can, you know, as far as
3: I can tell. Mm. Mm. Either that or they're going to do a remake of Underworld.
0: Yeah. But, I mean, patently, things like the Handy Doctor don't
3: count. That's not an incarnation of no. the Doctor. No. No. That's a, that's a sidestep. Is it going to be one of these things where you think of all these really complicated explanations as to why... It could happen, and it turns out to be something incredibly simple.
0: They almost always are. Yeah. I remember some of the theories about what Russell T. Davis' uh, story arcs were going to be. And yeah. it's like, my God, people are thinking of really complicated, you know, explanations for the story arc from the guy who gave us Bad Wolf. Oh, Rose says Bad Wolf and throws the words <laughs> at him. And uh, Torchwood in Series 2. Oh, it's a really complicated story arc. Did you know that's an anagram of Doctor Who? Yeah, quite. Right, I think we've been going on long enough. Do you two guys agree? More
3: than long
2: enough, Mm, I imagine. Yeah, I I don't think we talked about the trailer enough, but yeah, no, it's fine.
0: Oh, have you got more to say about it? No, no, I just
2: think it's worth it. I just think it's so good. We've it's talked brilliant.
0: about the trailer. Oh, you just want to talk about the... Okay. Yeah. Uh, we've actually talked about the trailer for 17 times the length of the trailer. Oh, right. Okay. I think that's plenty. <laughs> uh, um, next week. Next week, we will actually do our season six.
3: That's unless Phil Morris finds some more episodes. Yeah.
0: Because I did want to get one season from each doctor in before the anniversary, and if we don't hurry up and do it, we're not going to yeah. do it. So, season six next week, and then after, after the, the week, of, nah, it's been just too long a day. <laughs> and before Steve from Manchester writes in, yeah, la, 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 it's been a long day, and I can't talk anymore. And the week after next, something special again. Uh, In which Mark and I will be getting together with some other people, some of whom have been on the podcast before and some of whom haven't, if everybody who's supposed to be coming along does come along, and in which we're going to go into the Missing Episodes thing in a whole lot more detail, I think. Mmm. Yes, Mm. because we've been asked to do this several times now, and I didn't want to do it... Prior to an announcement, because I didn't know an announcement was going to come, and I kept saying, "No, I'm not going to talk about it until such time as an announcement has been made." And now that it has, I think after the last two weeks we've just revelled in the joy that you know Phil Morris's discovery of these nine episodes has brought us, I think perhaps it's time to go into it in a little bit more depth. After all,
2: are you going to name names, Jr.
0: No, I'm not going to say who's going to be on the podcast until the podcast's out because people may not be able to turn up. No, okay. But it's an interesting lineup, I think. Mm. Anyway, that'll be in two weeks' time. Uh, but for now, I was JR. I was Mark.
2: That was Lee. And I'm Simon. <laughs> and we'll speak again soon. <laughs>
0: You know, oh, I meant to bring this up in the podcast and I forgot. Web of Fear is the absolute perfect example of how people will forgive the classic series stuff that they won't forgive the new series because the Web of Fear, revered as a classic, it's come back, people are still loving it, unlike necessarily the Tomb of the Sideman where some people were a bit disappointed. Everybody's pretty much in agreement that the Web of Fear is great, and yet, It's got the most appalling script, the most illogical, appalling. Mm. You know, oh, it's Mm. just, and it's just got characters walking around doing ridiculous things, and yet people love it and they forgive it Mm. because Mm. it was made in nineteen sixty-seven.
3: (laughs) Brilliant! How can you not love Evans? He was awesome. (laughs)
2: Mm. Oh no, don't don't get me wrong, he was entertaining, but oh my god, (laughs) his faces!
3: I thought his skin was going to fall off at one point. (laughs) <laughs> he was pulling these faces. It was
0: awesome. Uh, I, I find stuff like that absolutely fine, though. Yeah, I
3: loved it.
2: Do you, um, do you prefer the... I meant to in, mention in the podcast about the Yeti redesign. You know, at the time, would you have preferred them with the eyes or without? I like them without the eyes.
3: Like the cuddly ones. Uh, yeah. Yeah,
0: I think... I'm not sure... That, I think the redesign works well in the setting. yeah. Uh, well they needed eyes, didn't they, in the dark. They needed to that be the first
3: episode looks brilliant. So spooky in the house.
0: Yeah. 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 And there's some lovely shots later on as well where Doug Campfield uses like long lenses or something to in the studio to have yeah. people in the foreground in focus yeah. and people in the background way out of focus. Mm-hmm. And you don't very often get that in Doctor Who in the in studio stuff. Mm. I mean it's patent. I mean but you know Derek Martinez and David Maloney were doing exactly the same things in their stories. You look at anything directed by any of those three, and it's just brilliantly shot and brilliantly cast and brilliantly acted, and that's as much as you can hope for in 60s Doctor Who. Yeah. Mm.
2: John Levine was talking on the radio about, um obviously, he was the lead Yeti or something like that, and he was saying about... He was the fourth Yeti, actually. Oh, was he? Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, that's so funny. That's yeah. what he was saying about one bloke losing control of his bloody in, in his suit. Because he got so... Apparently he got one so frightened, so claustrophobic. Yeah, probably something him, about
3: that. people with the surname Levine. I know it's a different spelling, but...
2: Oh,
0: uh, Right, I'm going to go, guys. Yeah.
3: Oh, did you like my um, my tribute to Ian? I said it was... When you were talking about the whole conversation with Jack, and I said that it would be my last... Uh, word on the subject, and oh, yeah, we the cat's yes, yes. tirade. I saw it, man. I saw it.
0: <laughs> very funny. Yes. Mm. <laughs> right, guys, get me your files as soon as possible. I'm yes, we'll do oh, speak. Uh,
2: Just, just one thing, just very yeah, briefly. Yeah. Uh, did you know that? Um, oh, Kerry Mulligan is now living in Exeter.
3: Really? Kerry Mulligan. Oh, yeah, because she's been into yeah. um, John Lewis. Yeah. How come?
2: She well she's you she's she's married to the lead the lead twat out of Mumford and Sons isn't she? Yeah. And they they oh, moved.
0: she's he's the next to yeah he moved here a little while ago didn't he?
2: Yeah he's within a stone's throw away from Chris Martin they all, all the rock stars live in one little village or something. Whitstone. Yes that's it that's it. Yeah great. Yeah
3: she came into the shop a few weeks ago. Did you blink? Yeah, I didn't see her but. If you blink and you you miss miss
0: her. her. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) And on that note.